हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब सो टुडे आई एम हैप्पी टू हैव एज माय गेस्ट अलीना रॉय शी इज बीन अ कथकर फॉर 14 इयर्स and is based out of UK and Pakistan. She's been teaching in Pakistan since 2016 and a huge focus for her has been spreading the art form there. She's performed uh, all across the world in London, Karachi and the UAE. Alina, how are you? Hi Pramit, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm glad to have you because as a result of the research I've done to have you on the guest, I've noticed uh, something people like to ask you a lot is what dance form is Kathak most common to, and you repeatedly tell them it's not common to any dance form or it's not like any other dance form. So could you expand on that a bit? Yes, that's a funny question. Actually, um, I'm asked it quite often. I don't personally think that it, it's. I mean, there it, that it's suitable to. um kind of you know say that kathak is falls under a, a different category of dance um just like if you ask an artist how her art is similar to somebody else's art it's it's very it's a very different thing it kathak is a different art form it's a classical art form yes it may be similar to other indian classical art forms in the sense of perhaps some kind of um aspect of the dance um maybe a chakkar but the technique the style the portrayal of every art form whether it's dance whether it's music whether it's just you know painting drawing sculptures anything like that it's all different and it it's it depends on the audience how it's perceived by the audience it depends on the artist and how they portray their art so i don't think that you can anyone can actually say that this art is just like this art or this dance form is just like this dance form because no kathak is not ju- like any other art form any other dance form um i personally learned ballet when i when i first uh, entered my dance journey so to speak and um there were a lot of differences so th- i don't think that it's very it, it's just not a suitable question and i am asked it all the time and i wonder why what what kind of response does you know the other person want me to give them because um each art is unique different portrayed differently perceived differently and it's just um it's a, it's your expression right so Kathak for me is my expression and Kathak is the art of storytelling but for me it's the expression of what i feel and my emotions the atmosphere my mood a lot of different stories so again i as i said earlier it's it's the perception and the portrayal that is different but you can't categorize x number of dance forms into one and you know y number of dance forms into two i hope that answers the question Oh yeah for sure because I uh, I've been listen I've been talking to different kathakas about it and one common theme I do see is that it's very important to define kathak as its own thing and it stands on its own instead of being compared to other art forms. Yes and definitely. So that brings me to my next thing is when we talk about uh, I've seen that a large focus for you has been developing kathak in Pakistan. So could you tell us a little bit about your work there? Yes so I um I actually started my journey in Dubai. and then i relocated my family relocated to pakistan in 2016 um when i went to pakistan my idea was not my my um my aim was not actually to teach at that point but my aim was to trade more and um i i personally don't believe in online classes so I, it was very hard for me to conduct online classes with my gurujis so i went into pakistan thinking i would trade more and i tried to find um 
I was in Karachi. So I tried to find more artists that I could perhaps learn from and gain more um, knowledge from in Karachi and was unable to do so. And so when I was unable to do that myself, um, a lot of people said to me, you know, why don't you teach and whatever knowledge you have, you can pass it on. And I personally thought I was not ready to teach. I, I needed to train more. I still think I need to train more. I think dance art is something that you are never a master of. Um, but then I thought, why not share with others the, the little knowledge that I do have? Because maybe that knowledge I have, nobody else has in, in Karachi, unfortunately. And I could pass it on and, you know, open up our, um, uh, our people to, to the realm of Kathak. And um, so that's, that's when I started teaching Kathak, actually, in 2016. And um, I started teaching very small. Um, I, I think I had about you know, 10, 20 students initially. And I was actually in school at the same time. I was in college, just finishing my final year before I moved for university. And I was going, I was, I was, uh, I was teaching twice, twice a week. And um, I got an amazing response. Um, there were positive aspects. There were negative aspects. There were a lot of struggles along the way after teaching, you know, just twice a week. I then increased that. I would do workshops at universities, at schools, educational talks about Kathak performances in Pakistan. Um, in fact, I did my first solo performance in Pakistan. It was called Kalse Ajtak. And um, that was about Kathak and where it started and where it is now. And I just showed the different aspects of the development and the growth of Kathak um, across the world, actually. Um, and it was, it was a very well-received performance. Um, yes, there has been, has been a, a huge struggle because there has been a lot of backlash, but there's also been a lot of positivity out of um, you know, the educational aspect that I, I focus on. And I aim, my aim still is, and I have been doing for the past four years, I've tried to raise awareness of the art form, create understanding of the art form, and um, just try to educate people on what the art form truly is. Because unfortunately, there is this misconception and um, stigma associated with dance um, and, and, and specifically classical dance in, in our culture, uh, uh, predominantly in Pakistan, where um, it is, uh, we, we, you know, the, there's the, the mudra aspect that people then conceive as Kathak. Um, so unfortunately, we, are, we don't have like a great image uh, as Kathak dancers or Kathak artists in Pakistan, which is something that I'm working to change. Um, and I'm really, really trying to make obviously educate other people and then change that image of just being called in here, inverted commas, Nach Nivalia, um, because it is, it's, it's, it's not just um, an art form that you would sit and watch in a gathering um, as people perceive it to be, which is why it has this misconception of being associated with mudra. It is, it's an art form of appreciation of an expression that needs to be understood by the audience. So I think that it's, it's, a very long process and it's going to take a while but there is a lot of scope and then baby steps it is and I'm, I'm just working my way up the stepping stones really and wow so when you're up against all these misconceptions and it's not just not learn, learning and teaching you have to deal with everything else what have you found helps break through those barriers and help get the message across that Kathak is not just the misconceptions or all the misconceptions are wrong personally it's been a lot of a lot of support that i've had um friends and family have been very supportive and have helped me to engage others and you know create awareness but it's um it's starting small educating the younger generation to then educate their elder generations um because a lot of times i've had students who have come and said you know our fathers or our grandfathers are not okay with um us doing kathak and 
I think that the only way that that conception and that image, excuse me, can change is when the knowledge is is given to them. So when younger generations can then feed that knowledge to the elder generations, maybe there is a difference that somewhere along that line that information can make and, and then it can be accepted. So it's, I can't specifically pinpoint what it is that will help to increase the awareness or to help increase the acceptance, actually, uh, I should have said. But um, there are many different things uh, that, that are happening along the process and that I'm trying to do along the way. And, and fingers crossed, things, things will get better in the sense that people will understand better and appreciate better the art form. And um, I, I hope to see one day again, initially, uh, I, I hear a lot of people tell me many years ago, Kathak used to actually be part of schools in Pakistan. It used to be an extracurricular activity that was um, promoted by schools and different institutions and, and you know, um, clubs. And uh, when I say clubs, I mean, you know, like um, cultural associations and cultural clubs in Pakistan. Um, and that that is not there anymore. So I do hope that one day it will be back at that, at that stage where Kathak is accepted in schools, colleges, universities, as promoted and is there available and accessible to our people to learn because right now the accessibility is also very limited. So yes, there may be increasing knowledge, but until the accessibility is a hundred percent, then um, the opportunities are very limited. I see. And you've told me, you discussed your classes a bit and you touched a bit about your workshop and the, how you're involved with the community, but could you expand a little bit on the community outreach programs you've done to spread the word of Kathak in Pakistan? Yeah, so um, again, like I said, workshops and a lot of universities uh, and schools is, uh, have been very important. A lot of platforms, um, specifically, I've worked very closely with the second floor, T2F in Pakistan. It's um, a platform that appreciates and encourages all artists. And um, there, it's also a stage and it's also an area for workshop workshops, it's an area for development. It's, a, it's just a free space, really. And um, I've worked very closely with them in trying to engage others because a lot of everybody who's interested in, in their creative things and art art related aspects do come to to, to the specific um, platform and um, it's just more about word of mouth truly in Pakistan right now Kathak is at the stage where it's word of mouth so if I teach one individual that individual will tell somebody else about it and that's how the community is growing um, and currently then again like I said earlier there are many different streams and different ways that we can access the community and acts and and engage the community but then it's again it's different maybe one thing may attract one individual but another thing may attract another individual so it's i do lots of things i do a lot of marketing um i have a, i run an instagram blog um Kathak based and um it's called Kathak with elena roy and i on through that i try to encourage and engage a lot of audience because my instagram is popular these days social media is is very popular and I think when people see um, this classical art form on social media, it's it's more interesting to, to them. And I've seen a lot of growth in following um, in, in, uh, during COVID, actually. I think it's more because people are on their phones constantly and are looking at social media platforms. Um, okay. And since we're talking about Instagram, in terms of the content, what uh, have you found there's any particular aspects of Kathak that people are engaging with more? Yeah, people love um, expressional aspects. Um, they, they, so, that, so they love love Abhinay. They like to see the nritya aspect of Kathak, the theater aspect, the involvement of music, music that they resonate with. But then a lot of people also like the classical aspect, the nritya aspect of Kathak as well. So it's different. Um, I, 
a lot of videos, videos are what engage audiences just in general, like a performance would, as opposed to me standing, you know, not um, dancing. So it's video content and just um, just everything Kathak related that people are really interested in the art form. Um, they may not want to learn it or may not have the means to learn it, but they are interested. So this is why I do say that there is definitely scope in Pakistan for Kathak. Um, but if you compare it, I've because I've, I've worked in Dubai and in the UK, if you compare it, then obviously there is a difference. There are limits and restrictions in Pakistan that there may not be in the UK and Dubai. Okay. And since we're talking about Instagram, another thing you mentioned in your bio is desi.co, where you're Kathak head. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So desi.co is basically an online magazine uh, slash newspaper. They promote all kinds of things. They have about 40 different um, called, uh, topics that they talk, uh, that they discuss about. You know, they go from business related to art related to social issues, um, lots of different things. And they are, they're predominantly on social media platforms, Instagram, they have a website, LinkedIn, um, YouTube, lots of different places. And I manage the Kathak aspect. I'm so I'm a Kathak head there. Um, and over there, we've got, we've got a dance team as well. We've got a Kathak team and it's currently me and one of my students, um, and both of us do uh, create content for desi.co, which is on their Instagram page mainly. And um, it's, it's um, the, the main reason that I took on this opportunity was because it is a large platform and it is a platform where people come, where people will follow you to stay. It's, it's, it's a magazine. So it's like a social magazine. They like to, that all the news is on there, all headlines, whether it's serious headlines or gossip related headlines, celebrity related headlines. So the following is quite large and it's a following of different people. So to engage a whole realm of individuals, a diverse range of individuals, that is predominantly why I did take on this opportunity. And it's great because um, again, everyone, it is now the age of social media. So everyone is able to see it and everyone is able to follow and appreciate the art. And a lot of people have, a lot of people have found, you know, what, what Kathak is through this platform. So, um, Currently, I, I haven't, uh, we haven't released any Kata content this month, but we will be doing so very soon. Um, so yeah, that is, that's what desi.co is and that's what I'm doing with them. That's awesome. Then looking forward to next month and see what comes out there. Yes, uh, And uh, I guess wanted to, uh, one thing you touched upon is that Kathak used to be a part of the curriculum. And so one of my previous guests, Rafia Ji, she told me about the Pakistan Gharana, about Nahichi and Fasir Rahmanji and the the specialities of the Pakistan Gharana. So could you tell us about what's unique about the Kathak that was developed in Pakistan? To be really honest with you, I um, did not learn at all in Pakistan, did not Mm -hmm. even live in Pakistan until 2016. So I was brought up and I was born in the UK, brought up in Dubai. So I I personally haven't trained in Pakistan Mm -hmm. and um, I've not actually seen uh, the likes of Nahidji live. I have seen Nigatapa live. Um, again, haven't seen Fasir Rahman live either. So um, I wouldn't be able to tell you what's different in the Pakistani uh, way of Kathak or the style of Kathak, the Pakistani style of Kathak, just because I've not personally experienced it. Um, but um, I, I have only worked with Shima Ji, Shima Karmani Ji, and she's a more of a Bharatnatyam and Odyssey dancer. So... I mean, again, because she's not a Kathak dancer uh, mainly, the, the differences are hard for me to assess and the similarities are hard for me to assess. 
unfortunately I won't be very, my, my answer won't be very useful on that um, aspect, but I would definitely love to work with all of these artists. I do believe Nahidji has moved back to Lahore as well in Pakistan and is now teach there, I think in the middle to London and Nigatapa is teaching in Lahore as well. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. Appreciate your honesty on that one and keep us posted. I guess the, then I would like to talk about, uh, now I'd like to talk about your training and who you trained under and what your Kathak beginnings were like. Yeah, so I uh, started, well, I, so basically I did ballet initially, didn't, didn't really like it. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine was learning Kathak from Guru Pali Chandra. And um, this was in Dubai, I think seven years old. And um, I then, I started classes with Pali Ji and, and I just loved it. And I think it was mainly the fact that I was abroad all of my life and Kathak really made me resonate with the culture, really connected me back to my roots. I felt like there was that this connection that was missing to my traditions and, you know, the, the heritage that Kathak really gave me. So I really enjoyed it. I continued and continued. Um, yes, there were lots of hiccups along the way. I, I mean, you know, I won't lie. There were, there were times when things got really tough. Um, I didn't know, you know, if I was going to continue. I then did, I had a few um, operations on my foot. So then I, I took a break for a year and a half. Getting back into it was very tough. But then when I was back into it, it was, it was amazing. And then... Um, I, there was an, an instructor at uh, Paliji Academy Gurukul um, called uh, Nitesh Ji. And um, he then became my instructor when Paliji moved to Switzerland. And then uh, Nitesh Ji opened up his own studio in, in Dubai. And um, they're both my Gurujis. So Guru Nitesh Saraswat and Guru Pali Chandra are my Gurujis and mentors. And, you know, they've, they've really helped me reach where I am today. Um, and I always, always go back to both of them whenever I need any advice, anything at all, you know, any learnings or trainings that I that I do need. I have recently trained again with Nitesh Ji because when I go back to Dubai, I do go um, that Pali Ji is now based in Switzerland. So yes, that, that's um, where I've learned from. And um, then I started teaching myself, but uh, I'm still training and, and I think I'll always be training until, until I'm, you know, 100 years old. And yeah, in the middle, I did go to Sujataji in the UK as well. Um, I'm not sure if you're, you're aware of Sujata Banerjee, but I was with her for a couple of months in London when I was studying here. And yeah, all of my experiences have been amazing. And um, in the middle, I went to Lucknow as well to, to train with a lot of different Gurujis. That was amazing as well. I had a hardcore workshop there for about 10 days. That was great. So I've, I've you know, experienced all different kinds of teaching styles, training styles, techniques and and it's been a great experience a great journey so far and i hope it continues to be along the way yes i did hear about sarata banerjee g because i one of the people i'm talking to about being a guest on the podcast is shreyashina and she's okay. running nupur dance and i think she was doing something with her so that's where i heard about it yep and i guess one thing you mentioned in the which i found very interesting is you said you recovered from a foot injury and given that Kathak has a huge emphasis on feet. I imagine that must have not been easy. What was that journey like? The- yes, it, it, it actually happened um, from the, the studio space. Um, you know, it's, it's a, we, we use our feet. So obviously it's, it's general. Everybody sweats and, you know, the, the area has to be continuously sanitized. And I guess in, in between it wasn't back-to-back classes. So it's hard to be cleaned after every single class. And I think that's how I got this foot injury. Um, and it lasted me quite long, actually, a year, a year and a half. And in fact, I still have the injury. It's just that I haven't chosen to go for another operation because I know that will then 
probably be very near the end of my dance journey because it's a very it's it's one of those things where it's a recurring thing and you've got to continuously get these um procedures done on your on it's actually on the sole of my foot so it was very hard for me to walk as well but i have performed a few days after one of the operations um with a bandage wrapped around my foot wow and um yeah it was just one of those things where i was really missing performing and and apology had we had a small choke and I just I performed a piece with her um sat down so it was nice it was it was um that's something I got into it actually because I realized how much I was missing it but yes I do have this foot problem that will probably continue and um, I've just now given up on trying to get it fixed to be really honest with you um but it was a tough tough situation in the middle and um yeah I just uh pushed through and and, I, and now I think I'm just going to continue to push through in terms of in, i assume like foot injuries are pretty common with kathaka since we use them a lot have you found any stretches or anything that help in terms of keep of injury prevention or just like minimizing so it so i always warm up and i cool down always warm up before whether it's mm-hmm. riyaz or whether it's you know teaching or whether it's training whether it's a performance always warm up and i always always cool down it's very important that our muscles are warmed up before we perform because dance is also a sport so that's something that paliji really really um put into us and um uh, we were always had to warm up and cool down before classes always every, every time we were in the studio and um in fact that was similar here when i went to uh, shima ji in pakistan she used to do a half an hour warm up in the beginning and half an hour cool down very important i i do that with my students as well and um if ever i don't um by chance you know if i just don't get the time before a performance then the next days the next few days are quite tough um you know the, mus- the muscles are very muscles have to be trained as well so then you know the muscles become very stiff and and painful so i i just suggest warming up your entire body from your fingers and to your toes like absolutely every part of your body needs to be warmed up and cooled down before and after that's interesting i think my warm up is just doing slow tatkar so i haven't thought about doing a full body warm up i'll think about incorporating that then that's interesting so, yeah it definitely worth incorporating um i often my students and i we what we do is we do tatkar for between 10 to half an hour 10 minutes to half an hour depending on how long the class is and then we'll add in hastaks to try and warm up your the upper, upper body and your hands and um and then we do a lot of stretches as well um and sometimes we do some very quick cardio as well just to get the the muscles warmed up sometimes that is just you know the car in different levels increasing paces increasing decreasing increasing decreasing so there are a lot of different things if you want to do a a, a purely kathak based warm up you can do that as well but i would always suggest incorporating other exercise movements as well just to warm up your entire body Okay and that's good to know and since you're talking about your students would love to know your teaching methodology so what kind of a teacher you would you say you are in terms of teaching kata Oh that's a tough tough question um I don't know I mean I'm the wrong person to ask actually <laughs> you you can should get a hold of one of my students and ask them but um I'm not too strict I'm not too easy going I'm uh sure a very tough question I I'm um I don't know. I don't know if I'm a good a good teacher or a bad teacher. I just um it's a very tough question for me to answer about myself. Uh, uh, so let me let me make that a more specific question. It's not a question of whether you're good or a bad teacher. I'm sure you're a great teacher. It's like so say I guess uh, one of the things is in in 
Kathak and classical dancers generally is the concept of riya. So you can't just if you just show up to class and you don't practice after you might get you might fall behind. So say if some students are not practicing regularly, how do you enforce the concept of riyas in them and that they do need to practice ah. outside? Yeah. So um, obviously, like any teacher does, I 100% encourage riyas. But I think that riyas is not something a practice in anything, even whether it's mathematics or you know biology or anything. It's not something that a teacher can instill in you if you are not willing to do it yourself. So I think the moment that my students realize they're falling back, because if I'm the kind of person, if if somebody misses my class, I'm not I'm not going to stop when they come back when they resume classes. I'm not going to halt the rest of my students for this one individual, right? I would have expected you to because I I, I pass on my videos and my notes and Farhan recitations everything goes out I have um, folders for all of them everything goes out to all of my students whether they miss the class or whether they're in the class so I do expect my students to always um, you know revisit previous things and if they have missed then revisit and catch up if they have questions I'm always available and I'm very easy going in that answer somebody asks me a question I, I respond respond instantly you know send the video back etc but when people realize themselves in life they're falling back somewhere they, that it is their instinct and they themselves then will push themselves further so i if if my student is you know it's been like you know five weeks and i know she hasn't practiced or two weeks and i know he hasn't practiced i'm not go, i will tell you once i will tell you twice i will tell you thrice but i think there's no point in that rep- repetition of me telling you you need to practice you need to practice you need to practice because when an individual falls back they realize that i have there is this gap that i've created between my knowledge and where i stand um and i have to push myself as an individual to reach further than where where i am expected to be so i definitely encourage riyas and it's something that i'm always telling my students you have to practice otherwise you're just going to, you're going to halt you need to practice you need to practice but until it, people realize that themselves i think it's a very hard thing to instill and and I, that's a from personal experience as well um even when i was younger i would be told all the time to practice and sometimes i wouldn't practice and i would come to class and i would feel embarrassed so when you feel start to feel that yourself you become very conscious of the fact that you haven't practiced um so i let it be something that is instilled in somebody in my students themselves rather than something that is enforced to the t where my students no longer want to come to class does that make sense it makes perfect sense and i love hearing how different instructors have their own methodologies on this because that helps honestly like just talking to people inspires me to do more riyas so that's one of the reasons i do this podcast as well and yeah. uh, so i guess the next thing i wanted to ask you is since we're talking about riyas what is your riyas what is your daily riyas or riyas like and how do you did you ever mix it up or do interesting i always do something different um i never do the same thing because again i think your muscles and your body gets tired of doing the same thing again and again it's like when you go to the gym, if you do the same exercise all the time, there's no progress after a while, like you reach a point where, where there is no progress. So I, I do always do different things. It depends. I try to focus on different things every time. Um, for example, I won't start a real session and say, I've got 20 things to do today and let me perfect all of them. I'd rather take one or two things and perfect those things. Different. It's di- I have different real sessions. My real sessions or rehearsals are different. My real sessions for training are different. My real sessions for personal development are different. Um, but I do always start my real, like I said, with with a warm up. And 
that always does incorporate that guy and husband. And I then like to build. So I start slow and I build up. If I'm doing an expressional real session, um, then I, I, what I usually like to do is jot down a few, a few different emotions that I'm feeling maybe, or a storyline that I'd like to portray and then work around that story. So I'm, I create a mood board myself in my real session on paper. And then I replicate that mood board in life. Does that make sense? I do not know what a mood board is and would love to know more. Could you tell me what that is? Oh, so a so mood board is it's just like a storyboard where, where you, you know, you jot down lots of different things, whether it's um, the atmosphere or like the weather or an emotion you feel or what you want to portray or, you know, a different, um, perhaps like a timestamp of, of a song, for example, at two minutes, 20 seconds, this is what's going to happen. So you just like write down lots of different things and then you create that in real life. Um, that, that's what I like to do. For me, there's no hard and fast rule of, for Riyaz, but the only hard and fast rule that I do involve is making sure that I always start with the car. And that's something that I ask my students to do as well. That's something that I was always taught by my gurujis to always start with the car, whether it's in class or at home or before a performance. And um, usually before a performance, I warm up at home. And then when I'm just about to go on stage, I just do some warm-up stretches and my namaskar and um, then I go on stage. So it's, it's different every time. I think I don't have um, any hard and fast rules. And that's awesome. And since I'm kind of new to Kathak, I want to learn a little bit more about this. So now you have this mood board with all your emotions. How do you, tran- what's the process of translating that to movements and dance? So I think, uh, honestly, it's one of those things that develops with time. Your movement vocabulary develops over many years. You learn lots of new movements. You learn lots of new ways of expressing lots of different movements for one word or one expression or one emotion. And um, what I usually, so I either, I, I either will follow the lyrics of a composition. So may it be a ghazal or a tumri. And I'll follow those lyrics and write down what that's what, when I listen to a specific ghazal, what I feel and what story I want to portray. And then slowly, bit by bit, you know, say maybe 20 seconds and another 20 seconds, I will create that story in my head and try to replicate it in dance in the sense that I will use movements that I have movements that I have in my movement vocabulary bank, so to speak, and movements that I have learned or move, movements that I want to develop or new movements when I choreograph and I put them together and um, create that story that I'm trying to tell. So it, it's, just, it's, a, it's, it's like, um, you know, when you're writing, a, writing something down, um, for example, if you're writing an essay, you jot down bullet points. Right. Similarly, when I'm creating or choreographing something, I jot down bullet points as to this is going to happen. This is going to be included. This is the emotion I want to feel. For example, if we, you know, talk about the ghazal, um, I absolutely love that and have done many different choreographies to it. There are different ways you can approach it. It can be maybe a romantic story. It can be a loss, a story of loss. It can be a story of belonging. It, it can be a story about family members. It, it can be bereavement, grieving. It can be anything at all. And then you, it's up to you how you portray that story, right? So if I decide that it's a story about, you know, it's, about, it's a romantic story about two lovers or it could be a romantic story about two friends, absolutely anything, then I would jot down emotions and movements and, feelings according to that story those are my bullet points and those are my from those bullet points i will create a choreography does that make sense yes that makes a lot of sense i like how you put that it puts it in perspective 
And since you're, we're talking about choreography and you mentioned you're a choreographer, could you tell us a little bit about the work you've done in, in that respect? Yeah, so everything that I perform, um, almost everything that I perform is choreographed by myself. Um, that I say almost because there are some um, passed down choreographies and passed down compositions from my Guruji's, 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 uh, etc. that, um, you know, just have slight tweaks here and there. But um, all of the expressional work, again, almost all of the expressional work that I do is choreographed by myself. Um, the classical, the pure classical and technical aspects are choreographed by my Guruji's. And then when I pass them down to my students, I change um, some aspects here and there. Sometimes I don't change them. Sometimes I change them altogether. Um, so, yeah, my, my, I mean, I like to choreograph by myself because I feel that that then gives me my own connection to the piece and my own connection to the meaning of what I'm performing. And when you can feel what you're performing, you feel the emotions that you're performing and you portray that. It's like in theater when you're acting as a specific character, if you can feel the feelings that that character has, when you go into a, a you know the theater to then perform to an audience, you're, you're able to better portray those emotions. Similarly in dance, when you feel the emotions and the feelings are coming from within, that can be sensed by the audience. Okay, that makes sense. And uh, I guess the next thing I wanted to ask you is about the Kathak in UK. So could you tell us what the scene of Kathak in the UK is? There's a lot of scope in, in, in the UK. There are a lot of dancers here. There are a lot of teachers here. Um, and I, I've performed here um, in a number of places. And um, I've usually performed for charity purposes um, to raise awareness for a specific cause and um, or to you know fundraise for a specific cause. And uh, it's amazing. The audience here is that it's just so diverse. You have people from all different backgrounds, all different origins, and they all appreciate Kathak so well as if it's their own. So it's really nice to be able to see that. And I think it's because for many years it's been in the works in the UK. And um, that is something that will take a long time in Pakistan. But similarly in India as well, the appreciation and the knowledge is just different because um, it's part of the culture. It's, you know, part of schooling. It's part of colleges. It's, it's an activity that is available to many, accessible to many, and which really makes a difference. Um, in the UK, it's again, accessible to many. And part of the culture and our, our you know, um, Asian culture here is quite large. And, and so people are um, attracted to and people, people do pay to watch and people do want to come and watch um, and see these, these performances. Uh, and that's different to in Pakistan. You often get the, oh, is, is it not a free show? It's a ticketed show. Do I have to pay for it? Can I get some invites? Can I get some free passes? Because unfortunately, the arts are still, and arts in general, not just dance, music as well the arts are just still developing and the appreciation still lacks and it's not just pakistan elena yeah we actually there are a lot of the showcases and things that happen in kathak academies here are done for free just because it has that thing that it's a cultural dance or a classical dance and there is hesitance for people to want to charge for it because they might not come and want for people to pay for it so we are seeing that right now because yeah. like a lot of students who do put so much years into their Rangmanch Pravesh, they may, may not, they end up having to pay for it and they may not be able to put a ticket price on it. So Usually does... Rangmanch Praveshes are, are, are meant to be, you know, not ticketed. But I, I completely understand what you're saying. Okay, that's interesting. And I guess the next thing I wanted to ask you is one thing you mentioned is performing in the O2 arena. 
Yes. So the, so the people outside UK who may not know how big that is, could you tell us a little bit about that, what that stadium is like for people there and what was the experience like? Before? So the O2 Arena is like, I'm not sure if it is the largest, but it is, um, I think it may be the largest arena in the UK. I'm not actually sure exactly, um, but it was amazing to perform there, you know, um, seeing other artists performing there and, you know, lots of con- big name concerts happening there. It was really lovely to be able to perform in such a huge arena. And um, it was great. It was, it was just a different kind of thrill performing there. And um, I really enjoyed it, actually. It was, it was really nice. Um, they have different rules. You have to be there from like the early morning, even if you're performing it at night or security reasons. It was really different. It was, it was quite amazing, actually. I really enjoyed it. And again, I did it with for a charity and with a lot of other individuals as well, um, different Kathak artists. And it was really very, very lovely. And uh, since you're talking about performances, you also mentioned performing in Dubai, the UAE. And what was like? What was it like performing there? Oh, I've I've, I've performed countless of times uh, in, in Dubai, and that's mainly because that's where I started learning uh, Kathak. And uh, it's great in Pakistan. Uh, sorry, not Pakistan. In, in Dubai, um, it's really, really appreciated, and you know the culture is there, and and that it's not really a niche. People understand it. People uh, want to come and watch it, and it was great. Because those were the years when I was learning how to perform. And um, that is also very important. You learn how to perform on stage. It's not something that, that is in you already. It, it's something, it's a process that you learn. You know, you train yourself to be a performing artist as well. And um, it was great. I mean, you know, I've had lots of, lots of performances where I've made lots of mistakes. And I've had lots of performances when I've done very well. And just that I don't think I've ever had a perfect performance ever. I remember one of my first performances in Dubai my left foot gungroos fell off on stage and I just left them there and continued to dance wow okay <laughs> so I just had I've had lots of memories I've made lots of memories on stage in Dubai uh, and yeah we used to have annual shows we used to have shows all the time in, in Dubai it was really nice it was it was really good I really enjoyed that yeah. and I guess one next thing I want to get, in, get into is the marketing aspects of Qatar so could you tell us a little bit about your marketing background and then we'll talk about it in Qatar yeah um I actually studied psychology and I'm now working in in an insurance company in the marketing department and um I just just like marketing just in general um but Qatar marketing related to Qatar what exactly would you like to talk about in that sense I guess um, with uh, as more and more I talk to Kathakers, I found out about the many talented artists who are who have the talent but aren't able to showcase their talent or put the word out there or sell themselves. And so, what would you so on, on top of being good at your craft in Kathak, what would you say from a marketing aspect does it take to get noticed and say make a living out of it? Um, you know, I, that's something I'm still working on because um, it's it's very hard, but I think you'll your social media appearance and your, your social media existence is very important. Um, you need to be accessible to everybody. People need to know that you're out there. And the only way they can know you're, that you're out there is either if you have billboards across your country or if your presence on social media is quite high and, and prominent. And that's something that I'm personally still working on because I it, it's very hard for me to increase my following as a Kathak artist in Pakistan because people are interested in, in following you if you're a, an influencer or you know, you're, you're anything other than what I am. So um, it's hard for me. People, people like to watch my videos. People like to like my posts, but people don't like to hit the follow button. So I think it's really important. One very important thing, actually the main important thing for marketing 
your art is having a social media presence. So I think that is the first step if anybody is looking to be, you know, um, known or acknowledged or appreciated away from just their, their circle of friends or, you know, whatever can happen through word of mouth. Social media presence is very important. Okay. And when it comes to uh, like ask, uh, like uh, having a ticketed event, what, uh, what do you think go, would be good steps to have an audience that makes sure that they pay for the events and they don't just want a free show? What do you think would get them interested in something like that? Well, it depends on the, uh, on the aim of your show. If the aim of your show is to, is to increase awareness, then I would suggest um, no no tickets. But if the aim of your show show is to increase the um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for to increase the value of of a of your performance to increase the value of the art form, then I suggest having a ticketed art uh, show. Uh, show. If you are then looking to increase the value of your art form, you then have to be aware that there may not you may have a show where you have zero people in the audience, and you may have a show where you have a hundred or a thousand people. It's the risk that you have to be willing to take. When I did my first solo in Pakistan, um, I kept tickets, but I kept them very low. Um, and um, it was a thousand rupees, Pakistani rupees, which is equivalent to 500 Indian uh, rupees, I think. And um, so I kept the ticketing quite low. And that was just because I wanted to increase the awareness, but also make sure that the people who were coming to watch the show were aware of the value of the art form. And it's really important for people to be aware of the value of your art form, because as an artist, not even just a Kathak artist, as an artist in general, people need to value you. Um, people pay to see, you know, um, sports professionals, for example, people pay to go to a cricket match, people pay to, pay to go to a football match. So they should pay to, to watch you. It's a profession as well. Um, so yeah, I kind of went off topic on that question, but I, I hope I answered it. Absolutely not. I, the, I, I mean, the whole uh, have, exchanging value for value is what I was asking you about. And I think you absolutely nailed it there. Because, uh, yeah, there is a tendency for people when it comes to the arts to just ask stuff for free because they don't see the inherent value in it. And sometimes it just needs to be pointed out. Mm-hmm. And another thing I was talking to my last guest with uh, Rashna Ramyaji was about performance times. Because when it comes to Kathak, uh, just to build an audience, just to build the scene and making people understand that performances are typically longer. So when you come up against organizers who say you might have to finish this in five minutes or something like that, how do you deal with situations? Um, I, I've never performed my own show for less than 20, 25 minutes. Um, and when I say my own show, I mean like having a slot in a show. When I do a solo show, it's never less than 45 minutes. Um, because if shows need to have a purpose. Like when you go to a theater, the theater production has a storyline and there is meaning behind what you're portraying so my shows always have a storyline as well and i will never just go on stage and show and just perform randomly there needs to be um method to the madness always and um so i prefer to have about an hour's time on stage and um when it's a when it's a festival for example that's different you know if it's a festival and we've got lots of different artists and musicians slotting in then i'm happy with a 20 minute slot but i don't think i would ever perform for you know five minutes um, just because nobody can then understand Kathak as an art form. And there are a lot of different aspects that Kathak has and you've got to portray them all. And if you have to do that in five minutes, it's, it's a very rushed situation. Um, and I always like to perform more than just one piece. It's hard for me to just pick one piece to perform. Unless again, it's part of a larger show in which there are many other artists and many other artists are doing you know, five minute pieces as well. That's different if, if for example, it's a Kathak show and you have 10 artists we need to wrap it up in an hour. 
I would understand. But um, I hope I answered your question because I feel like I completely sidetracked there. No, you you again, you didn't answer the question because uh, you you draw a clear boundary about what you will perform to and what you won't. And yeah. you have you have set guidelines as to when you want to do what. So that makes perfect sense, actually. And I guess the next thing I wanted to ask you was about uh, collab uh, collaborations with other artists. Are there any collaborations you've done with other artists that you're really happy and proud about that you discuss? Oh, I did lots of collaborations, especially in uh, COVID times, actually. But um, I did a live co- collaboration in Pakistan in December last year, before COVID, with uh, a band called Darvesh. And they're... Um, and a very amazing band, actually. Very, very unique um, compositions that they have. And we did a live collaboration on two days' notice. And we had one, one session of rehearsal. And that was the night before the show. And I think it was about like 10, 11 p.m. the day before the show. So um, that was really amazing. I really enjoyed collaborating live with them. It was different. But I've collaborated with a number of musicians in Pakistan, um, in the UAE, in London have also collaborated with a lot of artists, music, musician artists, um, I mean, singers in Pakistan. And I did that a lot in COVID. Um, and I did a lot of collaborations with some very famous artists as well. And um, they're all available on my Instagram and YouTube. And um, they were amazing because it just showed that um, you, you can, artists, artists thrive on other artists. You know, you, you help, you, you have to help your community first. And we were really supporting one another when COVID happened and when the lockdown happened in Pakistan because our means of earning at that point was were, were none. And um, it, w- it was really nice to see the support that the, the art artist community had for one another. And we, we had a platform called the Quarantine Artist Platform and we were just creating lots of um, different things on there. And that was, I collaborated with dancers, I collaborated with singers, I collaborated with um musicians or guitarists, tabla players, sitarists. It was really amazing. I love collaborating because it just shows how two different people or three different people or, you know, a group of people can come together so nicely and just make, mix their, their art forms and create magic. Okay. And since you talk, we're talking about live musicians, uh, live music and music and artists. So that's another thing I love to talk to my guests about is the relationship between a Kathakar and their musicians. So... Uh, I guess how how do you cult, uh, I guess what, what would you say are good ways of cultivating relationships with your musicians and to make sure that they get the recognition that they deserve in performance? Well, I, you know, um, a musician and a dancer. If you have both of them on stage, then it's a fifty-fifty job. I mean, I'm do I might be doing my job, I mean, dancing and entertaining the audience, but I can't do that without my musicians. So always give a hundred percent credit to my musicians. Always, always ensure they are paid. Even if I'm not paid, my musicians are always paid. It's very important. Um, to give credit where where credit is due, and then without without music, where where are we as dancers? That's awesome. And how do you go about? And what is your process to go about finding musicians that you feel would be a good fit for you, and you'd be able to collaborate together? So I found an amazing tabla artist in Pakistan uh, through another classical dancer, actually Faraji Fayaz Sheikh. and um, I found him Yusuf G through her and. Ever since then, I, I, he is like my go-to. And I always went before performing anything, I ask him who the right musicians would be for that specific performance. And he always arranges them so kindly. And um, yeah, he, I, I was just lucky to find him in Pakistan. And then he, he knows the, the musician community very well. So whenever I need anybody, I, I'm able to ask him. Um, 
And yeah, mashallah, say I've always had, you know, the greatest of the greatest musicians accompany me and it's been fabulous to to see them in Pakistan and work with them as well. And I guess one another thing I wanted to know in say uh yeah, in terms of like I know covid's put a dampener on this part in terms of when we start to get back to a sense of normalcy, what are the future projects that you have in the pipeline maybe that you're excited about and you want to discuss? So a lot of stuff is on hold, hold because of, of mm-hmm. COVID. Um, everything is just holded. Like we've just had to hold off everything. But there are a lot of things that are coming up that I'm not going to discuss because that would give it all away. That's right. But, but if, if, you know, um, my only thing, I would just say that, you know, continue to support artists. Everybody, just whoever is listening in, just to, to continue to support artists, musicians, dancers, just absolutely everyone so that we can come back to normalcy one day and, and you know, perform for everybody. I am most looking forward to being on stage again. I won't lie. That is, my, that is the thing that I really, really am looking forward to. Just being on stage, having an audience in front of me and being able to express how I feel on stage. I think the last time I was on stage was in, yeah, it was in December last year. So it's, it's almost been a year. I can't believe it. And I'm um, just looking forward to getting back on stage, to be really honest. Okay, and since you're talking about supporting artists, uh, in your opinion, in these times, what are the best ways of supporting artists from an audience perspective? It depends, honestly. I think right now, again, like I said, social media presence is so important. So following them, you know, engaging on their posts, liking, sharing, talking to them, encouraging them to continue collaborating with them. That's really important. These are really important things that m- must continue even during COVID. Okay, um, right. And thanks for that. I think that really helps a lot. Um, I try to do that and spend, spread positivity through my page as well, whenever I can. Yeah, I think that was all of it. So thanks a lot, Alina. Thanks so much. Yeah.